following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Um, we, we mentioned the story one time in the past, but since because of the Ebola outbreak, mm. and I recently discovered some new historical aspects of this, I, I thought it would be a good time to discuss it. This is the famous, uh, it was a famous outbreak of cholera. 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 In 1848. Cholera. Uh, no, the Hebrew word is cholera, actually. You know the word cholera, which is a derogatory term, mm -hmm. is actually the Hebrew word for cholera. 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 It's, a, it's a actually put together the word cholera. You know that time I'm cholera. 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 That's what you call it. So the right, it's a Yiddish curse word. You want to yeah, curse cholera. out someone. Yeah. This guy's a cholera. But the, it really comes from the word cholera, yeah. which is cholera. What's wrong? Bad. Bad, oh. bad illness. Oh, bad bad. disease. Mm. Okay. So, so anyway, in the, in the mid-1800s, there was a cholera ep epidemic. As we'll see, it started way before, but it was for around six, five or six years. Um, literally killed hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, when it came to times of Yom Kippur, the issue was um, there was always agreements whether people should fast and you keep people shouldn't in those areas that had the um, the cholera epidemic um, so there's a famous story that took place in 1848 in Vilna um, where it, it's not so there's I found five different versions of the story um, with the help of a historian um, someone named his name is Professor Lyman he's a professor in Queens College he's a Jewish historian who who has five different versions of the story. So the first version of the story, so interestingly enough, as we'll see, this this was a picture that I found of uh, this guy, this is Bialik. On Bialik. The, on the left side. A, a right, famous Israeli Bialik. poet, yeah. uh, grammar, Hebrew, uh, invented a lot of the modern Hebrew language. And there's two other people here known as Frischman, Dalit Frischman, and Snol Snolovich. Uh, what year was that? I don't know. Oh. But uh, the, so there's they actually this so this guy Snellovich wrote a he was, a, he was a, also a writer. They were members they were members of what's known as the Haskalah, which was the Enlightenment movement, which was fighting traditional Judaism at the time, um, trying to reform the beginning of the reform movement. Um, this is already after that, but um, the Haskalah began as as a precursor to the reform movement, and um, basically. <coughs> was many, literally hundreds of thousands of Jews, joined the movement, um, leaving traditional Judaism at the time. Um, many of them stayed in yeshivas. They were in yeshiva, but they weren't really religious. It's a, yeah. a fascinating movement. Um, so this was the key. At that point, there was a fight between traditional Judaism and Haskalah, which took place many years. That was also the reason for many of the movements that were found, founded, including the Muslim movement by Yisrael Salanta, the ethical movement, the, the focusing on the study of ethics as opposed to Talmud and other things. So that's where Yisrael Salante we're going to talk about. He was famous for that, for starting that movement. So the, the reason why I bring this picture is because this guy Frischman wrote a story, which I think is the source for this whole story. This, the name of the, He wrote a book, um, short stories, and in one of the, the titles of the book, I actually saw a picture of it. It's called Shloshashach, Three Who Ate, um, was the name of the book. And basically in the book he tells a story of a, much more he dramatizes the story, a rabbi who got up in front of the shul on Yom Kippur, and um, leaders, leaders of the community, the Betin and, Ale and 
made Kiddush and Shul and told the whole congregation to eat, sort of ridiculing the whole concept of fasting on Yom Kippur, etc. Um, so within the story, well, you have to share. Good morning. Um, no problem. So within Welcome. this story, how are you? Welcome. Um, talking about this guy. So, so this story was dramatized and it was used by Haskala um, to, uh, to f sort of ridicule Yom Kippur in general. So the question is, what's the source of the story? So the real source of the story is an actual story that did occur with Rabbi Israel Salanter, again, who was the founder of the Muslim movement, who, um, I don't know, do you have your thingy? Good luck when he lived and died. Um, but this story took place in 1848. I believe he was born in 1810, but I, some source of the story says he was 80 at the time when this happened, so that wouldn't fit. So I don't know how, um, look up when he was born. Um, so I'll just read you, because this is another source of the story, another version of the story, from a book published in 1927 by Louis Finkelstein. Thank you, Jewish. Finkelstein's um, from, uh, from the Jewish, Jewish Theological Seminary. Yeah. Jewish historian. So this is a book, he, it's called, the name of the book was Students, Scholars, and Saints. And he goes through the whole history of uh, Judaism in pre-war Europe, the yeshiva world, etc. So in this, he brings this story of Israel Salanter. So it says, this is a review from the book, which I found online. Born in Lithuania in 1810. Finkelstein? No, no, no Salanter. 1810, so that means, that means he was only 38 years old when this occurred. He also says, according to this, he left Vilna in 1848. Yes. Maybe they so we'll throw see, him out of town. Of story, <laughs> did. Because of the story, they did throw him out of town. So we'll talk about that. So anyway, this is the story. So he says like this. This is from Finkelstein's book. He says, a year before this, he had gotten, he's talking about Rabbi Sorrell Salanta. There's a whole chapter, fascinating chapter about Rabbi Sorrell. Just to give you some background about who he was, he started this movement, which again, he felt the focus we had lost the focus in Judaism on ethics. Before, after this incident? Way before this Very incident. Um, he actually, yeah, would be way before this incident. Uh, well, could have been, he was 38. No, 38. So, but he still, he started his yeshiva. He started in one yeshiva, and then he opened his own yeshiva in Vilna, in a suburb of Vilna. And the yeshiva, the focus of the yeshiva is, we know, normally historically in yeshivas, they study Talmud, halacha, ritual. His focus was purely on <coughs> refining human character. Um, and they literally would study... Um, you know, 10 hours a day, Musser books, things like that, just as to def to refine their character, to become humble, to be more ethical. You say Musser books, but the books were already written at the time, you just studied yeah. them, were they? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah, most of them were. not that you create a whole new so, library. Yes, and then the Musser movement was found. started about a thousand years before. The concept of Musser, yeah, but the, concept, the study, meaning making it a, a focus of study, never happened within. Uh, Judaism. His point was, part of it was because I think the Enlightenment claim was, as, as, as you see today, unfortunately, you have people who quote-unquote call themselves religious and they um, are religiously observant, but ethically, they're not such ethical people. In business, they steal, they, they, things like that. So his folks said, like, listen, we got to go back, meaning most people, as we're going to talk about, are at, you know, they're embarrassed to eat pork, you know, very nice, but they're not embarrassed to cheat on their taxes or steal, etc. So his point was to focus on to people, you should educate the people enough that they'd be just as embarrassed to cheat on their taxes as uh, as eating uh, eating pork. That was his his mm -hmm. uh, goal. What a, it was a very controversial. Yes, sure. very very controversial at the time in the sense of 
Why um, is that controversial? No, no, not the concept, but the concept of studying of studying ethics all day long uh, is controversial, as opposed to moving away from Talmud study, etc. Well, I mean, it went further. I thought yeshivas knew that that's when they could catch up on their sleep when they had their musar no, shiur. Yeshivas did not take on. Only his yeshiva did this. Yeah. Well, other but yeshivas disagreed with him. I thought they had like oh, it was a little, yeah, a little musar shiur. Yeah, there was always even when I all yeshivas I attended have. 15 minutes a day of That's studying Musa. Yeah. That's only because he pushed. That 15 minutes only came about uh, because, because of Salon. Okay. And that 15 minutes, want, you don't want where you study Musa, but it's a joke. It's oh, it's, it's yeah. optional, so to speak, and most people, you know, <coughs> you know whatever you do, you, you know, that's the time you, you check your phone. Check your Rabbi Steinberg said at that conference in Canada, he said he would, for doctors, he was talking about, that's, they should study medical ethics. Yeah. He said, you know, most doctors are not going to study Talmud, but what they should study is medical ethics. Yeah, that's a whole different. No, that's something else. I mean, he's saying it it's relevant to your study, practice. Study well, but isn't the Musa movement relative to the way you live your life? Yeah, but a lot of it is. I'm, I'm bringing in also, you know, cheating and stealing taxes. Not most of it was not monetary. Most of it is about refining your character. So, for example, one of the stuff they, they're famous for is they would they would want to become humble, so they send their students to go into a hardware store and ask for milk. Because the guy starts screaming, kicks you out of the store. What do you not say? Because they had very interesting methods. Uh, they would wear, you know, many coats in the summer to humble themselves. Psychological. Sound like they were nuts. Psychological. You don't think that's? That sounds logical. So, so actually, it's interesting. I read part of the story. Swaslata was he did have many psychological theories which weren't discovered yet. And how to become humble, how to refine your character, which didn't exist at the time. So there is, it is interesting, but uh, there's a famous, just to tell you one famous story. So part of the part of it was you, you literally, they had a mantra, you'd repeat the line many times. For example, one of the lines in Yiddish was, Ich bin a garnished. I'm a nothing. I'm a nothing. So they would sit there, Ich bin a garnished, I'm studying all day. So the joke goes, this guy comes to entrance exam for the yeshiva, he gets, you know, it's the first day in yeshiva. So, like, you know, he sits down, it's everyone's studying, so he sits down with a book, and he goes, you know, he's sitting there, I garnish, I I garnish. The other guy comes over to him and says, oh, look, he thinks he's a garnish, he's there one day, he already thinks he's nothing. Look who thinks he's nothing. There's a song, without you, I'm nothing. Have you heard it? Without you, I'm nothing. You know, but that really, uh, I mean, I, this may digress, but, you know, I, th th I think that that's not really the meaning of being humble. To yes, that's the point. That's exactly the point. To demean yourself. I mean, exactly. In that's fact, exactly we the point. should not feel that we're nothing. <coughs> yes. That's so that's exactly the point. That's why I think a lot of his movement was controversial. That was one of the reasons his methods were somewhat controversial. Um, although they're not necessarily his methods. There was a inherited lady she was. Okay. So so the story goes like this. So just that's just to show you a little bit about the person. Um, one other story that he writes about himself, I'll just say quickly, and we say with a story, fascinating story, he had never left Vilna, well, at the time, t except when he had a fundraiser, so the first time, you know, old he was, he had never, he'd left Vilna, wherever he went, and he went to France to fundraise, so he writes about himself that he had never seen a Jew violate Shabbat in his whole life, and he sees a Jew smoking on Shabbat in France, he said he fainted, he fainted on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> Because he had never seen a Jew violating Shabbat. He 
says the next Shabbat, he writes how he, he, you know, he just got like stomach cramps when he saw the Jews smoking. <laughs> <laughs> the third Shabbat, you know, he was lighting the gas. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of his muscle story. Like, you, know, so you get, you get the, the desensitized. He should have gone to That's a great story. Okay, so there's a story. He says a year before this, this, he had gotten himself into whatever this was, before this, he got himself into the bad graces of the spiritual leaders of Vilna. In the year of the frightful cholera epidemic, Salanter, after having taken counsel with a number of physicians, which is an interesting fact, because we'll see that might be part of the argument, that he actually cons did consult with physicians prior to giving this rule, and became convinced that in the interest of the health of the community, it would be necessary to dispense with fasting on the Day of Atonement. Many a rabbi in this large community was inclined to agree with his view, but none of them could gather courage enough to announce the dispensation publicly. During the several years of his stay in Vilna, he lived strictly the life of a private man, and his humility would not decide a question of ritual. So part of the thing is, in the yeshiva world, many Rosh Hashivas would not rule on Allah. So that was his thing. He never, you know, if you come to them for Psaq Halacha, even though Babich you asked them for Halach Psaq, you never rule. Who would they send you to? A post, what's called a posse, halacha okay. decides. Well, every community had. It would be called a, a what? A posek. A posek. Halacha decides. So every community had the Rosh Hashiva, and then they'd have what's called the Av Bezdin, um, the head of the Bezdin, who would rule on halachic matters. So it says he never, he always refused to rule any halachic rulings, um, not even if it occurred in his own house. I mean, there's a question on the chicken in his house, it's a kosher, you'd say, take it to the rabbi, take it to the Av Bezdin, but would refer it to one of the local rabbis. When he saw, however, that none of them would act in this case, of the case of the cholera, he thought self-assertion would be his highest duty. He had fixed announcements in all synagogues, advising the people not to fast on the coming Day of Atonement. Knowing, however, how reluctant they would be to follow his written advice, he, on the morning of the Day of Atonement, at one of the most solemn moments of the service, ascended the reader's desk, which I'm assuming means the bima, or the, mm -hmm. where the chazan stands, after addressing a few sentences to the congregation, when she commanded them to follow his example, he produced some cake and wine, pronounced the blessing over them, ate and drank. So he did this in front of the whole shul, imagine. Like Vesuel Salato, who was known, one of the greatest leaders <coughs> of the time. So not only did he eat it, but he pronounced the blessing. Mm -hmm. He made kiddush, you gotta make yeah. kiddush. You're gonna yeah. eat, you gotta make kiddush. Because uh, that's discussed in halacha, actually. Mm -hmm. If you have an, a patient, an ill patient, needs to break their fast on kippur, do they make kiddush? Do they bench? Is I there a special insertion? Because there are no special insertions. So one can hardly imagine what moral courage and religious enthusiasm this action of his required from a man like Salanter to whom obedience to the Torah was the highest duty. He found strength for his heroic action only in the thought that what he did was for the benefit of others. Many years later, he used to dwell on this episode and thank with great joy his creator for having found him worthy to be the instrument of saving many lives. He was convinced that many a person weakened by fasting would have fallen a victim to the frightful disease, that therefore making people eat on the great fast, he saved many lives. Others, however, did not share his conviction of the necessity of dispensing with the fast, and he was severely cens censored by them, not only for what he did, but also for having assumed the authority belonging to the official leaders of the community. So you can imagine the, the, I mean, the politics. It was, mm -hmm. he had, this wasn't his domain. Halacha wasn't his domain. He got up in the shul. He was, you know, go learn your master. This is not for you. This is not his domain. Um, the Ahab Bezdin, as we'll see, it says, uh, it doesn't say it here, but the official Ahab Bezdin disagreed with him. And this one version of the story is that he got up immediately after Rissalanter and said it's prohibited in the same shul, you know, in the mm -hmm. shul, in the main shul. This is the main shul of Vilna. Vilna. Vilna, by the way, at the time had over 120 shuls. This was the main shul. Isn't it that the halacha says that even if one physician out of the whole group said you shouldn't fast, then you shouldn't fast on Yom Kippur? 
Yeah, but that's to an individual. He was permitting fasting oh, here to everyone, right. meaning even the healthy people. The people of cholera obviously right. didn't fast. They shouldn't fast. Everyone agrees. The question was here, he was saying even you had healthy people, the community were totally fine. They did not have cholera. That no one should fast. Right. The question is why, right. why, where that comes from, we'll explain. Okay. I'm well, sorry, so it's a medical opinion that they shouldn't fast. Well, it says he consulted with physicians. We have to know what that means because, as we'll see, yeah. one version of the story I heard was the reason why they disagreed with him was because you know, they held each individual has to ask their physician and get a ruling from their physician, medical, a medical ruling, because you can't just make a yeah, blanket that rule. Yeah, could also that be seen in the situation as being the chassid shoteh, that you have to wait to get a dispensation from your doctor. Okay, That's but crazy. they felt, so I'll show you, there's yeah. another case I found where they actually posted in the Times, this was a, like, a f like 25 years before this, different locale, they actually posted two doctors in every shul because of cholera for people to ask. To, to be enough, diagnosed. So I'm saying, so that's the question. We'll get there. So it's a good point. So he says, it is un not unlikely that the unpleasantness created by this incident was one of the reasons for Salanter's leaving Vilna for good. So that same year, at the end of that same year, he left Vilna, he moved to a different city and opened his yeshiva. Otherwise known as being kicked out. <laughs> board, the <laughs> board voted him out. Okay, so that's this one, again, this is one of five versions of the story. As we'll see, there, there, there are no eyewitness accounts except one written by his son, which seems to be the only eyewitness account, which actually puts the story in a very different light. So, so, uh, so, yeah. so let's look. So this here is another, just to give you an example of what the, the, the question is, first of all, what's the argument and how do we deal with, say, a, a contagious disease? Um, in general, is a halakhic question. Forget about Yom Kippur. Was how much do we let? We know, of course, you can violate Shabbat for Bikuch Nefesh. You can violate, as you say, Yom Kippur, if there's no question. The doctor some so, tells someone they can't, they shouldn't fast in their condition. They're not allowed to fast. Not only not allowed to fast, as we discussed in the past, they're, they're, they're if they do fast, it's sort of, we discussed this once in the context of matzah. Someone who, let's say the doctor says, cannot eat matzah on Pesach um, because they have, let's say, some type of illness, shouldn't be eating gluten, whatever the case is, even though, I don't know if you saw a few days ago in the paper, the studies show that the whole gluten thing is nonsense. It's all... Psychological, did you read this? This study came out like three or four days ago that the concept of people you know, having issues with gluten is all not true. Well, it's a real degree, other, other than disease. Other than <laughs> yeah, other than yeah. disease. I'm oh, saying yeah. people yeah. say, you know, say gluten oh, yeah, it's all nonsense. That's not a revelation <laughs> of the community. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel asked all those people standing outside of a uh, gym, they were coming out, and he asked them, do you eat gluten-free? And they said, oh, yeah. One of them said, he asked, well, why do you, why do you uh, not eat gluten? And she said, well, uh, one of my girlfriends read an article that said it was bad. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Because it's it's, it's a I mean, literally, yeah. I said, one of my, my girlfriends, did it. she liked it, so I did it. That's uh, I get. Is it uh, allergy? Okay, go, go, go. okay so, so this is, so again, so the question is, so we discussed there at the matzah, we read, uh, I believe it was the Chachamtzvi, he responds to him that said, if you eat matzah when your doctor told you not to eat matzah, later on that same night, let's say that the Seder, your doctor says, okay, now you can eat matzah, you haven't fulfilled your mitzvah, because the physician says this is dangerous to your health, and now it doesn't just become you're exempt. Let's say your physician says it's prohibited, shouldn't fast on your kippur. You're not just exempt. You're now, you're going against the Torah if you do fast. If you don't follow physician's orders in a case where it's dangerous to your health, then you, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. 
because the Torah says, in this case, this is what you're supposed to do. Do what's best for your health. So if someone fasts on your Kippur and they're not supposed to, they haven't done a mitzvah, not only haven't they've done a sin, to a certain extent. Okay, so, so the, the question is, does that apply to prophylactic medicine? Meaning is that, that we, the concept that, we've, that we say, you know, that you have to live by the mitzvot and you don't <coughs> practice any mitzvah if there's a danger to your health, what about if the doctor says, no, you're, this person is 100% healthy, but by doing X, it could lead to a situation where you might put yourself in danger. Okay, so it's very different than present danger. Usually we have a concept of lefanecha. We only violate things because, because if you think about it, it's endless. Um, you're always, you know, if I drive to shul, you know, I might be in a car accident. Where, you, know, you could always rationalize that something's going to put you in a danger. Everything we do today is dangerous. Having barbecue is dangerous, right? Having, you know, so... So where do you draw the lines? We always discuss this in the past. we discuss preventive medicine. You might cut yourself eyes on the lead to death. We had a whole discussion of preventive medicine. I don't recall that. I mean, there is a oh. concept of, of eyes. On, we allow you to violate Shabbat for your eyes. No, it was all about preventive medicine. I can't remember. What, anyone else remember that discussion? It was all about preventive medicine. So the question is in general. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems yeah, to me in a certain sense very vague in halacha, prophylactic medicine. It's very relevant, by the way, with breast cancer, this comes up all the time. If you have the BRCA gene, this is really the question. Do you, are you obligated, because we're saying technically you're obligated to do things that are better for your health. Are you obligated to have the surgery because I have the BRCA gene to remove it? So there's a lot of applications to this question. Here, in a certain sense, this could be one interpretation of the argument. It's not clear what the argument between Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was and the Bezdin of Vilna, the Av Bezdin of Vilna. Um, was it this question of, listen, these people are perfectly healthy, many of them, the people who don't have cholera. So is that the issue? That if they fast, they're putting themselves, there's two ways to, to view the argument, they're putting themselves, they're weakening themselves, which might give them a better chance of catching cholera from somewhere else if they're in a weakened state. Higher risk. Okay, they're Isn't putting themselves in a higher risk. So what are the numbers for that? How do you Isn't measure this related risk? related to the discussion of, as Shelley said, of vaccinations? Maybe the same thing. The exactly. I'm obligated to be vaccinated. It's a very good point. To protect very good the question. community, got to have the uh, take the. Oh, so that's the question here. So, so meaning that's one way to look at it. There, Israel Salanter held that that if there was in, and based on this this story from Finkelstein, at least this version of the story, he held that he consulted with physicians. That means, assuming that's true, which is not clear as we'll see, but assuming he did consult with physicians, that means. He, the physicians told him, yes, it's better that even healthy people should not fast. Okay, so that means they're saying, that means Rabbi Yisrael Salanter held that even if someone's perfectly healthy on Yom Kippur, but if the fact of him fasting, which in any way might weaken his condition, there's nothing wrong with him, which might make him more susceptible to disease, mm -hmm. that's sufficient reason that you shouldn't fast. It's a big chiddish, that's why it's understood. And well, as opposed to the Avbez didn't, didn't hold like that. Um, that's why the alternative is he didn't consult physicians and he got it from where? From heaven or from where? Oh, it could be in his own... Uh, it's a gluten thing. No, I'm saying that there is another aspect, which the fact that it was Yerushal Salanter, Yerushal Salanter again was known for his Musr, so meaning caring about people. So this is a problem, I mean, I can tell you as a rabbi, if you're very, very you know, just like as a judge, right, when you're trying to meet out justice, so you can't feel, okay, this guy's from the ghetto, this guy's from here, he's from a different culture, we're going to feel bad, he's an immigrant, and therefore I'm going to give him some slack. Or maybe we're... Cut him some slack. So I, no, it's the same thing with a rabbi. You, it's a problem. Just like in the justice system, you can't have 
um, judges who are ruling based on their personal feelings. Well, it would be rabbinic feelings, malpractice emotional. not to consult the doctor. So, no, so I'm saying it's the same thing with the rabbi. When someone comes to the rabbi, listen, obviously there has to be emotion involved in your ruling. But the question is you can't rule on something purely based on emotion. So that's one, I mean, God forbid, I'm not saying this about Rishal Salata, but he was known for his extreme caring of people. I mean, they say he used to feed hundreds of cats every day also because... Maybe, maybe this was his ultimate act of Musar, that he actually exactly. wanted to be kicked out of the city oh. and embarrass himself. And how would a better way to embarrass himself in front of the community than to actually eat and make Kiddush in front of the Shulchan right, so that's what there's the Haskalah people yeah. use this story to embarrass Rabbi Israel and to say, hello, Faskin Kippur, it's not so important. Everyone was healthy, you have to understand. People were dying from cholera, but it wasn't like this, you know, people just dropping off. They were, you know, you had a shul, let's say, the, we were talking about 120 shuls, so there was, never was, let's say there was 200,000 people, 150,000 people in the city of Vilna, Jews at the time, guessing, I have no idea, right, so you, you're, so, you know, how many people were sick? But, you know, the vast majority, 90% of them, were fine and healthy, so it's, it's, it is a massive thing to get up and shul in your kibber, and say, also, and you know, you're fine, just eat, break your fast, so it was a great act of courage. But unless he had some medical basis for that pain, he... As an ethicist, how could he induce people to sin? Massive people, numbers of people to sin. Unless well, he obviously held it wasn't a sin. The question right, is where why. Where did that come from? From your right. doctor. So huh? what I'm saying is, I don't know. the question is, I think others felt at the time that it was because who he was, his personality, he was using his emotions to rule as opposed to the strict letter of the law. That's another point, right? We usually we try to err on the side of safety. Okay, uh, you have a doctor who prescribed in a contagious city that you should not fast during that day. And you have a rabbi who is a spiritual leader to tell you you should fast. So who do you... Say it again? You have the rabbi? The rabbi and the doctor. And the, the, doctor the rabbi from the Beth saying you should... Yeah, the doctor says fast. you should not fast during Kippur because of the disease. But the rabbi who is spiritual leader and religious comes and says, no, no you should the fast. The doctor always wins. doctor wins over the rabbi. But we don't know the if doctor. there's a doctor in this case. That's yeah. what the doctor saying. says, yeah, you shouldn't fast. It well, doesn't make a difference what the rabbi says. Actually, by the way, just as I'm thinking, a guy, I just realized someone approached me last week about this. Um, this guy had some type of, I'm trying to remember what Supposed surgery was, his name is Donald. and he had some kidney issues post-surgery, and basically the doctor says he has to take certain pills, but also he, if he doesn't drink, there's a chance he'll, his, his kidney will have this mm -hmm. pain again, will have this issue again, and he wanted to know. So he asked a different rabbi, he told him that he still has to fast. And that's why he was coming to me to find. So I'm just thinking about this now. Sure. <laughs> If all the rabbis become doctors, then we don't have any That'll solve the problem, no. Yes, no, but it always goes, by the way, even, uh, just interestingly enough, when we spoke about this in the years past, that if the doctor says you can fast, but the patient says they they cannot fast, you go with the patient. It always errors, as Alan just said, on the side of caution. So even if there's an argument, if the doctor says it's okay if he fasts, but the patient feels like if they fast it's going to harm them, so we listen to the patient. Because it's, it's a verse, actually, that they bring from Mishle. It says, Lev, it's good for psychologists, Lev Yodea Mar Nefesh. The heart knows the bitterness of its soul. Mm -hmm. The patient knows, many times the patient knows what's best for them. They know the pain they're feeling. The doctor mm -hmm. can't always feel their pain. So. Mm -hmm. so it's an interesting point. But, but, so we always err on the side of caution. The question again here is, well, one way of looking at the argument, the argument between Rabbi Yisrael Salanter and 
the Betin is this. Is this Solange a writer? Yes. In, but he never Mus- wrote about this. No, he never wrote okay. about it. He, he had, there actually, there are letters from him that are printed. I don't, think, I don't know if they were meant for publication. Like the one I told you about Paris. Mm-hmm. But he wrote books on Musser, or Musser books. But never, but wrote, never wrote anything else besides Musser. Besides Musser, he's never, you know, never mentioned the story. Um, again, his son, uh, there's a diary that they found from his son who mentions the story but in a whole different light. So it's interesting. When the son, the question is, did he really make Kiddush? Did he get up in front of the shul? So in the son's version, which seems, which obviously is the only first-hand version, um, his son was Rabbi Lipkin. In the son's version, basically he said that he doesn't mention anything about his father getting up in shul making Kiddush. He doesn't mention anything about hanging up posters. He says that they set up a room side of the shul in Vilna where he actually had cut up pieces of cake in very small, you know, it has to be pachas, pachas, make a share, that means less than a kazayit, each piece of cake, so that you're not really violating a Torah law by breaking your fast, feeding less than the requisite amount. And he, they announced in shul, anyone who's feeling weak should go and eat. That's what the son's version of the story. So the whole thing might not have happened. son's version is that, uh, that he just basically announced, and not he announced, they announced in shul <laughs> that anyone who feels weak can go um, have some cake in the side room. And the cakes were, were again bites, you know, less than bites. That's size. quite a different story. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it's historically, it seems like there's actually well, a question. The whole story is question. These pieces of cakes smaller than an olive. Yeah, that's I what we're saying. Each well, piece yeah. was smaller than olives. He less of an issue. So they want to discredit him. Of course. Yeah. Right. So, so it's interesting. Right. So, so now, the other, the other way to understand the question is there's another way to look at it. Another explanation as to why he permitted it was something else completely. Meaning, it's not a question of, of where we're allowing violation of Torah law for prophylactic medicine. The issue is another issue. Meaning, as we know, Yom Kippur is such a such a sacred holiday that people wouldn't be able to fathom. Even ill people wouldn't be able to fathom breaking their fast. So, if they would just announce, "Okay, if you're feeling weak, if you have cholera, if you have the onset of cholera, you can break your fast." So. Those people wouldn't either do it, as uh, my experience as a rabbi. Also, you could tell someone, a doctor tell someone, and I've heard many times from people, I'm 80 years old, I never broke my fast yet, they expect me to break it now. Doctor saying, if you don't break it, you're going to go into cardiac arrest. No, I'm never, you know. Right? So people, it's a very hard thing, especially people who are observant their whole life, never did anything, and now all of a sudden you're telling them they have to do this. That's, so that's the fault of the rabbis. 100%. That, that's the, the I agree. That's the problem with uh, blind adherence to ritual versus an understanding that there is. Hundred percent. And the Shulchan Aruch says what you're saying. The Shulchan Aruch says, again, anyone who doesn't violate Shabbat or Yom Kippur because they go to ask the rabbi their question or they're not sure, says they're they're cons- they have blood on their hands. That's it's, a, it's an open law in the in the Shulchan Aruch in the Code of Jewish Law. So hundred percent, blame it on the rabbi. It's, it's the rabbi's fault. It is, in this case. No, it happened, as it happened to be right. Yes, 100%. That's, that's what it says. It says the rabbi who didn't give classes on this topic because he didn't give classes and someone ends up getting hurt because they didn't know the law. So it's the rabbi's fault, 100%. It says the rabbi has blood on his hands. Rabbinic malpractice. So, but there's another Spiritual way of viewing this, which is so the other way of you understanding what happened here was something else, which is that the concern was if they don't give out a blanket ruling saying everyone would be strong, Salanter felt, they don't rule that everyone has to break their fast, even the healthy people, so then the sick people might not break their fast. So this is an unbelievable, fascinating issue, which he's saying because of the concern, no, it's really there's no 
permission for someone who's healthy to break their fast, prophylactic. To find an healthy, you know, getting being weakened, that's irrelevant. It's not going to affect, let's assume medically even, it's not going to affect their, let, uh, let's, for argument's sake, medically it's not going to affect them. They're not going to be more susceptible to cholera or to any disease because they didn't break their fast. But because of the concern for the ill patients that they might not break their fast, and for them it is pikuach nefesh, so we're going to allow <coughs> all the healthy patients to break their fast. Can you to imagine make that? Them feel better? No. No, everybody's so doing therefore, it. So therefore, make the right. sick people so feel the sick better. people will now do it because if they if you tell them only the sick people can do it, they're not going to listen. Why does that make sense? Does well, it make sense halachically? Or? No, just logically. Does oh, it make sure, sense? That's, the, that's human psychology. Meaning, everyone's doing it. Okay, listen, it's not just because I'm a nebuch sick. You know, I'm a nebuch. No, so it, it, the sick people you know? may feel worse about themselves if they're singled out to be the only ones. I think they feel to worse. They're not going to listen. They're not going to do they it. Listen? If they're sick, they're feeling sick. Because, like she just said, it's the rabbi's fault. That's that's the way nature is. No, no, people, I, mean, I, I tell you, dealt with this many times. Religious people, the doctor says you must break the fast, and they won't do it. They won't listen to the doctor. This happens every Yom Kippur. So well, why, did, why did he think they'd listen to the rabbi? I mean, that's what yeah. I don't care. No, that's so that's the point. If, if we're saying everyone has to break their fast, and the rabbi gets up in front of the congregation and makes a bracha, makes kiddush, so now everyone, now there's a better chance that everyone will eat. There's a better chance of, if, you know, when you go with the flow. What do you think? If everyone's you doing it. You think there's a better chance? I'm not so sure. If somebody's obstinate, they're sick as hell and they still won't they eat. They won't listen to the rock. I'm not sure. No, but I'm saying if everyone's mind. doing it, so then it's not, I'm the Nebuch case who's breaking my fast. I'm not sure. You know, I'm, it's, it's the community, everyone's, the rabbi no, said, this I, year there's I, no Yom Kippur, period. Do you think it would make a difference? I, I, I think in a community. Alan, what do you think? You have, uh, you know, herd mentality. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I think, think it would make a difference the, uh, if you feel no that everybody's, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take it as intended. I kind of like it intended. <laughs> okay. That was an extreme okay. case, but yeah. Wow. And they did do it. So, yeah. I mean, the, Listen, the even, if he, if, even if it didn't work practically, but I think what, what Amelia's saying is, sorry. Real. Real. That's okay. Uh, I like that. Is, uh, is um, what Muriel is saying is that, meaning it's like, you know, if there's a chance that 10 more people will take it because of the herd mentality, so then it's worth doing. Rabbi Israel Sadat felt that it's worth it. Did it work for everyone? No, I'm sure there were people who were secretly fasting. Well, it seems like a dangerous I'm precedent, too. I'm confused. Yes, that's for sure. Halachically, it's a bit major issue. Are you saying now that the rabbi has the final word over the doctor? No, there's no or doctor. Let's assume there's no doctor in this case. Doctors didn't say. The, the issue is we don't know what, the, or we don't know what the doctor said. Questions we're trying to figure out what the argument was. There seems to be two sides of the coin here between Rabbi Salanter and and the Avbezin at the time, whose name was something no called. Doctor, people aren't supposed Salo to live in the town. So there is no a doctor. doctor what I'm saying the point is the doctors might have said, "Listen, it's okay if the healthy people fast." That's my point. There's two right. ways to understand this. One is. Doctors, we can assume medically mm -hmm. that if they're weakened in a weakened state, they're more susceptible to, to getting the disease. Then, then, then it becomes a question of, can you violate Torah law for a prophylactic um, situation? Okay, that's, that's the way, what, that's question number one, viewing the two sides of the coin. The other way we're viewing it is saying, no, even the doctor said no one's going to, there's no point in anyone breaking their fast who's not sick. For healthy people, they can fast 100%. Jim Kipper, there's no problem which is 80% or whatever was 90% of the people. The issue is a different issue, <coughs> psychological issue, which is if they didn't announce this year there's no Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is, is 
gone, is off the calendar, then people wouldn't listen to the rabbi. And people wouldn't break their fast, and therefore they would put, be putting themselves in this dangerous situation. Therefore, we, they, they felt it was better to announce no Yom Kippur this year. We're canceling Yom Kippur, okay? And that would allow the people who needed the food to eat. That's the other way. And this would come out of his concern for the sick people. Yes. And and baseball. We're not going to listen to the rabbis exactly. if you don't do this. Baseball, we said about his nutty behavior of feeding cats and all this other stuff. This actually might not be completely out of keeping for his character. <laughs> I mean, you have another so, thing like this. It's, it's I'm so concerned about the sick people. I'm going to make the healthy say, people If you say no, eat. people are going to do it. A little nutty, no. right? If you say yes, people are not going to do it. If you say <laughs> break your fast, there are some people who are not going to listen. Uh, the reverse psychology. No, 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 no. No? What we're saying is there are people, even the doctor tells them, and I know many people like this, unfortunately, and if the doctor tells them don't fast, it's dangerous for you, they're still going to fast. Because they're so fanatical religious, like me, that they'll do it anyway. Okay? I would get that with diabetics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're 80 or 90? Yes, there's people who say, I fast my whole life, I'm not stopping now. I'll, go to my, I'll die, I'd rather die in Shul. But I mean, what, what is the carlet today, like, of a radical rabbi saying they're going to get a vaccination on Yom Kippur, on the Bema, and tell everyone they need to do that now as well? Yeah, no. I'm, like yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't, that could be, I mean, I don't know why it has to be on Yom Kippur, but it was, we discussed that once. I'm not sure why cholera didn't break out the day before Yom Kippur, either. No, it did. It, it didn't did. break out the day was, before Yom Kippur. No, it was going on for five years. I understand, so why, why that well, day? Well, how about Ebola? A guy Jewish gets, food yeah. Yeah. a Jewish we guy gets one. Ebola. Yeah. Yeah. We have one in Dallas. And he visited oh. Temple Emmanuel in New York, biggest uh, reform yeah. in, in and he gets Ebola through, uh, Three weeks before, yeah. a few days before Yom Kippur, he's a regular congregant there, and they say, "Okay, we're canceling services because mm -hmm. it's be nutty." You well, just don't kiss him. Don't, don't kiss him, <laughs> right? No kissing. So it has to be fluid, right? By the way, just interesting. Fluid. So the precedent is in Allah. The question is, so forgetting the matter whether it does help right. psychologically, doesn't is a halachic issue, which is the unbelievable chiddush to say. We're going to allow healthy people to break their fast in Yom Kippur because we're concerned that these sick people won't eat. Right? Which is problematic because really doing a mitzvah by doing a sin is canceled. Oh, but again, it's Bikoch Nefesh. So he felt yeah, Bikoch Nefesh allows the healthy people to break their fast. Right. Which is uh, obviously, uh, I, I, I like understand the medical, why that happens. The medical error yeah. makes more sense that you want to keep people healthy to avoid right. them catching Yes, okay, color. so it's not clear. But that makes more sense. The precedent, I just want to say, so there is a precedent actually relevant to, to, to this year also. As we know, I don't know if you do know, but this is a Shemitah year. So this year is a sabbatical year in Israel. Um, I think uh, maybe there are three farmers who actually do keep it. Um, <laughs> no, what do you mean? The rest of them do. They just sell their right, land. I actually saw a video yeah, the other like day. No big deal. The whole country sold to this. It wasn't right. an Arab this year. So for a dollar. British guy. <laughs> you now own Israel. <laughs> no, for a dollar. I think Ron really summarized it well. I mean, if, if you think people might get weak by fasting, then it Yeah, makes so sense. that's again, yes. If, the, yeah. the whole idea of. Well, they, they may not be responsible enough to pay attention to the rabbi or the doctor, and so everybody has to sin because they might be too stupid to, to listen on their own. That, that's this whole idea that, that all of society has to bow Dumb down to the idiot. Hey, it's, so it's you a could very just force feed. Yeah. I mean, the rabbi could say instead of that, 
We're just going to force feed the idiot. Yeah. God, I miss you. It's a very valid point, Ed. Your point is well taken, especially as a what's in as the a lawyer, doctor, no. political man, Right wing um, nut. That's what you're looking <laughs> no, for. No, libertarian. Libertarian. Right wing nut. Okay, right wing libertarian nut. So, but so it's it. very well taken, and I and I agree with you. I agree with you. We shouldn't be cowtowing to the nuts in society. But when it comes to pikuach nefesh in Judaism. Saving a life overrides everything. So you're right, even though normally we should not count out to... It's similar to questions you discussed many times. Do you violate Shabbat to save an attempted suicide? So of course, at the end of the day, of course we do. It's discussed. But just because he's an idiot, why should I violate him Shabbat to save his life? So it's really the same question here. I was right. Someone attempted suicide, so he, he's crazy. It's not it? really the same. Why not? It's not the same. Same thing. They're, they're committing if suicide. If the doctor if ill tells a patient, take this pill or you will suffer consequences, and the idiot chooses not to take the pill because of Yom Kippur, the rest of the community doesn't need to eat. Yeah, but, say, but why is it different than the attempted suicide? I mean, that's I obviously mean, an extreme case, but I'm saying, yeah. listen, because he, he jumped off a bridge, but so I have today, to violate my Shabbat? Today, like you just said, there are many patients that see Shelley when he was practicing, see me, that say, I won't eat... I, I, I'm going. I'm not going to eat, even though you tell me I need to eat. So therefore, you and I should now break our fast to so make sure that all of them feel better. So the point is, we know no. human psychology. We understand human psychology. We understand human psychology, and <laughs> therefore, we. Um, the point of is that we understand it, and we know that if the rabbi gets up and says. The, the ill people should break their fast. They're not going to do it. That's Psych a fact. They're idiots. Yes, they're idiots. And it's the rabbi's fault. Whatever. You I want think to. we get confused because I think we sometimes think that psychology is a hard science. It's not. Be careful. We have a psychologist here. Uh, we don't have. A well, also you could turn. Medicine is not Have you ever known either. me to care who's around? <laughs> well, soft huh? science. Well, to the neither is medicine. Place. Listen, Ed. If you want to bash Torah, that's one thing. But you know, don't bash. Like, <laughs> no, we will bash medicine but, as well. But, 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 but don't they say sometimes that the person is fill, the best judge, judge of his own body? Yes, that we do say. But what does that have to do with this? No, I'm saying when he a doctor can be also, it's not a perfect science, and the doctor can prescribe a, med a medication. By the way, I just want to tell you that speaking sure. of non-perfect science, in this <coughs> article I found one article I found on this topic, which is called. The rabbi who ate on Yom Kippur, Israel Salanta in the cholera epidemic of 1848. It was written in some medical journal, actually. Um, it's, it's not dealing with the halachic aspects, it's dealing with the medical aspects. And he discusses here at the time that they really had no idea anything about how to deal with cholera medically. And that was part of the problem. Um, he discusses they really, they, they had nothing, they didn't know, they just told people go outside and get fresh air. That was the only cure, that was all they were doing at the time. So, so just interesting to note that there was. Literally, they knew nothing. It says, before 1850, contemporary scientific and medical knowledge about the cholera epidemic was garnered from first-hand observation. It goes through the whole thing here. Um, early medical accounts favored the dramatics. They had no idea it was even, they didn't know anything about it. Use of etiology of the disease coalesced around two familiar schools of thought, the miasma theory and the germ theory of disease. Right. Former attributed to the disease, the disease so invisible, easily transmissible, transmissible, fundamentally non-contagious. So they, they were clueless at the time, medically. So even having the doctors tell you. Sounds like today. Yeah, there might, might have been some They said it spread substance in the soil spread via earth floors. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to what the, he quotes medic, medicine at the time saying, the substance in the soil spread via earth floors. 
Okay, um, so they clearly did not know much about it. Um, so getting back to yeah, where it was, oh, so just as a precedent, I started saying, so in Shemitah, the, the only halachic precedent for s- this concept of cattle, stupid people, um, but as you see, it's different, and this is where I think this might help answer your question. The, the case was, um, it, there was a case, it was a tune written by Maril Diskin. I don't know what year it was, I'm guessing sometime in the 1600s or so, where he allowed, he said, there was a problem in Israel, there was also there was drought and disease, and he allowed the f- all farmers in Israel to violate Shviat, because there were people who were starving. So there's some people who were okay, who had stores, stores of, of, of grain and they were made it. But he said all farmers should violate Shviat, the, the Shemitah year, that year, and plow their fields in Israel, because he understood if he gave a ruling just allowing the poor farmers to do it, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't listen. But there were people that had stores of food? For themselves. I mean, there were people that could have made the winter and they didn't have to plow their fields. But he gave out a ruling stating, based on a Mishnah, that allowed everyone at the time to plow their fields because he felt if he so just Shemitah tells the poor people, Shemitah is a, is a biblical is prohibition. a mitzvah, but it's convenient. Is that what you're saying? No. When people are going to die by keeping, by observing the law, so we, that's called pikuch nefesh. The, the so there were farmers in Israel who were starving. And he, f- he felt that if we don't allow, if we, if we have to allow, they obviously can plow their fields because they were starving. They the need to plant. The rich and but the elite. point is, but the rich elite didn't need, exactly, didn't, didn't need to plow their fields. But he still ruled that everyone should plow their fields the, that the year. Rich and elite because he felt if he doesn't say that, forever. the poor won't plow. When was this? When was this? I don't know the year. Because they wanted to plow their fields. Last century, last century. Right. Shemitah is you leave your field fallow. I'm suffering. Okay, sure. We don't have much more time, but I want to show you. I'm not going to about it, but I'm getting rich. What's going on with the psychology? If you're an idiot, you won't eat. If your rabbi says, look, I'm eating. And the idiot will say, just because you're an idiot, I have to eat? I no, mean, the psychology... Work, so I that's mean, the thing, meaning it's a very good point, so this is a good question. Let's say me as a rabbi, I have a, have a congregant who's saying, the doctor said if they don't eat on Kippur, they're going to go into a cardiac... they're going to go into a, uh, a sugar-induced coma, whatever, diabetes, I don't know the, the medical name for it. So this guy says, no, I've never broken my fast law. Should I, as a rabbi, now go and say, right. sit down with the guy on your Kippur and say, Listen, I'm going to have a sandwich. If so you have a sandwich. Exactly. So should you? So according to Mr. Salaam, it seems so like in this exactly. one, so why don't you do that? And, uh, but but the like assumption sandwich. is that if you did that, he would eat. Yes. I'm not convinced he would eat just because you did. It depends. So depends. You're an Obviously, idiot. depends who the guy is. Depends who the rabbi is. Depends so how much respect the rabbi has in the community. In the big sanctuary, he said, you know what? We're going to eat he today have to say at 3 o'clock. He says that. At 3 o'clock. Does everybody follow? I, I don't I'm think confused. so. Yeah, that's the difference between Rabbi Sral Salant and Rabbi Rosen. Nothing. Huh? No undue respect to Rabbi Rosen. We don't know that anybody followed Rabbi Salant. We know what happened. He did it. No one else did it. He was screwed off feeding cats. He's a Salant. Salant. Excellent. Not Salant. So I just want to show you here. All right. I'm going to fast anyway. Okay, I'll tell you what, let's have a sandwich together. Right, right. it's different. Uh, let's go, let's go, let's go to let's Starbucks. Onion kipper. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> so it could be, listen, depending on the rabbi, if someone in the stature of Israel Salanter, I think it would work. Right, if Rabbi Rosen says it, 
Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, we by this story, we actually I would ga- I would gather that no one listened to him, and in fact, <laughs> he was thrown out at the next board meeting, and he had to pack his bags and leave within I six leave. months. Yeah, they sent mm-hmm. So I mean, actually, I would believe from this story that no one listened to him. Okay, could be. I don't know. Can you yeah. have a good doctor? Can you have a good chest surgeon that smokes? Of course you yes. can. Like if you that was all they did. The Conroll was joking. The Satmar Rebbe dies. Do you The Satmar Rebbe dies, goes to heaven, and they invite him to meal. Same sort of thing. Just because you're going to eat it, of course. I know it's good. It's an interesting story. Okay, so I want to show you. This is just a fascinating piece of history here. This is another, this is a book by, it's a, it's one volume out of six, I believe, written by uh, someone known as Rabbi Kiva Eger, put his, put his uh, bio from Wikipedia here, just a little part of it, it's like three pages long, but it says Rabbi Kiva Eger um, lived in Eisenstadt from 1761 to 1837, by the way, his daughter married the Chassam Sofer, second oh. marriage, his, um, Chassam Sofer's second wife was his daughter, not simultaneous. Meaning his first wife died? No, 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 he didn't marry <laughs> What them. happened to his no, first wife? Died. She ate you. Sam Sofer, not his. She ate a young kid. Died. Okay, so, so, uh, um. So what happened? So, yeah, so he was an outstanding. He was, he's famous, basically, he's one of the biggest Talmudic scholars. Um, Who died a year before Stolantis supposedly did this. Yes. Not Stolantis. No, 1848, 10 years, 11 years ago. No, 11 years ago. 38 years So he has, I found someone mentioned this to me, and I, first time I saw it in my life, fascinating. I can't believe I never seen this before. Of course, now I'm not going to be able to find it. But he has, just in the back, they put some, it's not a response, it's a basically a takana that was given out to his community in, in actually given out to the community of Vienna also because of a cholera epidemic that occurred in their community also about to I can't find it um, but it's here somewhere but I put my business card in but it fell out so you have to so I, I took excerpts basically from this this was basically was given out prior to Yom Kippur in the town of, in the capital of Vienna. And by this rabbi? By Rabbi Kivager, signed by, mm-hmm. as you see, it's signed by numerous rabbis, amongst mm-hmm. them Kivager, and signed by leaders of the community, secular leaders of the community also. Um, Vienna wasn't the seat of, of religious Judaism, as we know. So, so you, this, uh, I'm reading from the right column here. It's, the title is Takanot Vazarot, Decrees and Warnings, Be'it Parutz Magefa Tachaleria. At the outbreak of the cholera um, disease, Rahman Reishlam says Rahman al-Tzlan, may God have mercy. Okay, so this was obviously a letter that was given out to the community. So he says, "Kolali hit nagut the Rosh Hashanah." This again, it's three pages long. I just took out key points that I thought were fascinating, medic from a medical perspective, and just to see how they dealt with it, dealt with an outbreak of disease. Kolali hit nagut. These are the principles of how to of the how to. Custom yourself the Rosh Hashanah of Yom Kippurim, Shnat Tuf Kuf Tzadik Beis. So you have to do the math for this. Um, what year exactly it was? But it was it was sometime in the in the 1800s, right? 1800s, early 1800s. So the no, it's no, it's actually in the 1700s, I believe. Not sure, but either way, um, you can look it up on your thing. So the Kaladat Yeshurin, given out to the this community Po Pozna in Pozna. Um, which is actually his town, the town of Posen, in wherever it was, Germany or so. Zichro, um, Maybe 1792. Is that possible? 
1761. Yes, I believe it's 1792. Yes, if it's not 1792, 1792. Okay, so now I'm starting from the from the paragraph where it says 10 Yud. So he says first of all, So he's talking about uh, okay, this is something else. He says don't light the candles because I think they were trying to save money on the candles <laughs> because of the disease because they needed it to fight the disease. But start from the bottom Yud Zayin bottom paragraph in the right column, it says, Yom Kippurim, Yom Kippurim Deraisa, Al-Kain, Hagaivid, which means the Av Bezdin, Ubadatz, and the Bezdin Tzedek of the town, Einan Yechol Nohakel, Bofen Klali Binyan Atayinus. We can't be completely permissible about the fast. Ulam, Kedei Shalakolach Atiyah, his damnut, Lishol Beitzas Rofi, in order that everyone should have the opportunity to ask a physician, that's what we were talking about before, Miyad, immediately, when they fail weak on Yom Kippur, again, this was during a cholera epidemic outbreak. Mm-hmm. He says, so therefore, oh, shul shul, or if you have diarrhea, chas v'shalom on Yom Kippur, God forbid, because that was part of, that was part of, I th- believe, part of the symptoms of cholera was diarrhea. Mm-hmm. It's Ye- the symptom. Oh, it's the symptom, okay. You shnei rofim nechachim, he says there should be two physicians, the meshach, you know, upper class physicians, the meshach, kol hayom, throughout the day, the cheder akahal, in the community room, Bitur Makom, Bitur, and on a rotation. She should constantly have two physicians there in the community room of the synagogue throughout the day on Yom Kippur. Makom Mekrazi in a main place. Shall call Batik Nasiyas Tepo. All synagogues in the town, in the city. Hagaivid, the Av Bezdin, Mazirim Zos, Bazar Gedola, warns with a great warning. Shalo Lishmar Bisod, Afes Hamikra Hakal Biyosar Chasvashalom. Do not take this lightly at all. Afmaat Mazir Bazar. Do not hide any of your symptoms. Immediately, if you have a symptom, go to the physician who's, who's going to be appointed, posted in your shul. But overall, Zen, if someone who violates this, Harei, and I'm missing the next part of the paragraph. Someone who violates this is, is, will be struck down. I need to find it in. Then he continues. At the end, he says like this, Yudbez, next column, Ubadatz, the Av Bezdin, the head of the Bezdin, and the Bezdin themselves, Modim. Notify anyone who feels any any weakness be yoser at all. Mechuyev taketh is obligated immediately after to get a shofar. This is on Rosh Hashanah. To go home, leave the synagogue, go home and eat. Haruchas Boker have breakfast because by the way, um, the law is before shofar you're really not supposed to eat because like any mitzvah, any biblical mitzvah before you fulfill the mitzvah you're not supposed to. So today we do kiddush in, in shul, but really it's really problematic. Many extreme, uh, like in yeshiva, they don't make kiddush before shofar. After shofar, you make it. After no, Yom Kippur. No, yeah. Rosh Hashanah. Right? Okay, you coming Thursday for the CLE? For what? CLE. CLE. On Probably. Okay. So, you get the email? Gonna see it. I got the email. Okay. I'm gonna try to make it. Some ethics. We gotta have an easy fast, fast day. Yeah. Yes, and if you have to, if you feel weak, call your doctor. Yeah, call. I'll call the rabbi. Yeah. So he says, uh, he's Okay, so then he just ends off here. He says, uh, oh, so this is the second column. Oh, sorry, so this is where I messed up. He says, who mischaib benafsha? actually continues. I'll, you know, is anyone who doesn't, who hides his symptoms, he says, is is a spiller, he's, he's by, he basically committed suicide. To low benafsha, listen to this, it's not only his own life did he take, because by you not... Uh, not breaking your fast and being more susceptible to disease, you can cause others to become ill and nafshun and fashos achirot. V'sofa omed litendin, he says, you're going to end up 
having to give judgment on your actions, on nafshov, on the fashol cheres, on your own soul, and on the soul of others. For Nosefuz has also added to this important and holy day, should be careful from this great sin, which is included in the prohibition of murder. On this holy day, um, yeah. God forbid. And no one listened to this. Chalera, listen, he says, there's the, the board of cholera, of cholera, Shabnei Das, the religious board of Kaira, and then they end off the letter saying there's many things relevant to halacha. Therefore, we're also putting the signatures of all the rabbis of the city on the letter. So basically, no one listened to this anyway, and uh, that's no, why Salanter no, no. had to eat it in front of us. No, this is way before. This I understand. Is, there is another problem with this. You know what I don't know if Salanter ever saw this before. Ronnie, or anybody, do you know what a cholera cot is? You ever heard of a cholera cot? No. How do you die with cholera? Basically, the IRA is When they treat people with cholera, they have these cots that have a hole where your tuchus is. There's a pail under it. I was trying to find your picture of it here. Here. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.